Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere and every day. Now we believe this is gonna require, like Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified in a region and collaborating together around five key initiatives, which we see in Acts 13 and 14 as the Apostle Paul worked out this particular strategy, which was church-wide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city together, and then starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. In this episode, we're talking about churches and leaders who are collaborating together to start new churches in Buffalo, New York. And more specifically, I've got the privilege of spending some time with Jerry Gillis, the lead pastor of the chapel, which is a multi-campus church, which has been collaborating for quite a while with other churches and leaders to see more churches started in the greater Buffalo area. Jerry is also a part of the leadership of Christ Together, which is a great organization that saturate partners with a lot because we have the same vision, the same conviction, the same mission. And they're just as committed to seeing gospel saturation happen in cities all over North America as we are. So, Jerry, man, I'm so glad you're here. And you and I have just been getting to know each other a little bit over this last year, and it's been a joy each time I've gotten to interact with you. But would you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself so they can know you as a person, as a husband, father, and then also as a, a, a leader who's seen God do some amazing things in Buffalo? Yeah, Jeff, thanks so much for having me. It's been a joy to get to know you and to see the work that you're doing with uh, Saturate. Um, we followed that. I've read the book. I read the book before I met you. Um, so that was really cool to be able to, uh, to connect. We got some mutual friends, but uh, a real joy to be able to start partnering together uh, even more intentionally with uh, Saturate Christ Together. Um, so for me, um, kind of a, a 53-year-old, out-of-shape old athlete kind of you know gig. Um, I've got uh, a wife that I've been married to for uh, almost 29 years, uh, coming up in October. So we're, we're not far from that 30-year mark. Um, got married in 1993. Uh, we were both 24 years old, you know, young at the time. Uh, I've got two sons. Uh, one is 25 and he's married. And we just had our first grandchild. Um, wow. So our little granddaughter <laughs> is named Josie Marie and she's three months old. We are beside ourselves. We absolutely are thrilled. Um, and then my other son is uh, 22. Uh, still in school. He's working on an MBA, actually, while still playing college baseball. So the oldest one also played college baseball. The younger one is, they're both pitchers, both 6'3", one's a lefty, one's a righty. You know, they kind of do that deal. So um, and he's doing really well. And uh, and I've been at the church that I'm at for, uh, it's called the chapel uh, in Buffalo area of New York, and have been here for a little, I'm in my 21st year uh, now. Mm. Been here, So I came when I was 32. Um, so I've gotten to see uh, quite a bit and kind of grown up uh, with this place and in this place. Wow, man, that's great. Thanks for your faithfulness. Uh, that's remarkable. So, you know, it's funny, I didn't know this, but like you and I got married the same year. We got married in March of 93. Yeah, we're so October we, we, of 93. Yeah, that's crazy. I was 24. My wife was 20, so she's a bit younger, but... Wow. Uh, so yeah, we're right around the same journey, though you're a little ahead of us in terms of grandkids. We don't have that yet. So yeah. it took us 10 years to have our first child. So wow. it was a bit of a, a challenging journey, but the Lord yeah. provided. So. Something to look forward to. 
I know. Yeah. We're, we're excited someday. <laughs> no rush because our kids are still in college, but sure. not married yet. But well, I, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful you're here and I, I'd love to have you share more about the origin story of some of the collaborative work that you guys have been doing in Buffalo. Um, I know I, it was for me, one of the more inspirational stories in the work we're doing at Saturate, I think because a lot of people have, will talk about collaborating, but a lot of times you don't hear the stories of it actually taking place and producing significant fruit. And you guys really have a, a story that's so encouraging. So would you tell us a little bit more about that, that story, how it started, what, it's been, what God's been doing through it? Yeah. Uh, so I'll condense. Obviously, it's a long time to talk about a bunch of stuff. So um, when I came, uh, the, the background of this church it started in 1961. And uh, the church for a really long time was pastored by the founding pastor, almost 40 years. Um, so uh, again, incredible faithfulness. But he was also a product of his time, like we all are, right? We, we all are a product of our times. And so really, the leadership structure revolved around him. Uh, and it was about building that congregation, and he did a good job of that. Uh, but it wasn't about collaboration or partnership or those types of things. In fact, the church had never um, formally planted a church uh, ever. And I, I got here in 2002. The truth is, is that, you know, church planting was still kind of the a newer thing uh, at that time, at least in the world that I was living in. It was kind of early in inception and with the literature and all of that stuff during that time. So, um, when God kind of got a hold of my mind, uh, and it took some time, that's a different story for a different time. Um, you know, we, I, I ended up maybe in about 2005 after our church had started growing quite a bit. And, and I was struggling with um, asking myself questions like, did I really sign up to be a large machine operator? Is that what like my job is now? And what do I do? Like, what's next? Is it just bigger and better? Um, because, okay. And then what after that? Biggerer and betterer, um, like mm -hmm. I. You know. uh, so I was struggling, and I pressed back into the Word in the New Testament, asking questions about the church and the kingdom, and that it just had to be bigger than this. And then when uh, I ran into a, a friend uh, who became a friend, I didn't know him at the time. He's an, an older gentleman. He's in his mid seventies now. A missiologist named Dwight Smith, and he had some words uh, that that really kind of gave me probably a a five to seven year kind of velocity move um, from, I, I would have gotten there. I, I genuinely would have gotten there because the spirit of God really had me in that place. But he, he had words for what I was trying to describe. And so the short version is this. I realized that uh, we had lived on an island as a church um, for decades and decades, right? And that we were the largest expression of the local church in Western New York and if we wanted to have a vacation Bible school, then it was going to be the place, right? And you could, it was like Walmart and the mom and pop stores in some degree, right? Not, not with everybody, but we just realized, are we, are we helping here mm. or are we not? And uh, so I, I called a meeting. Um, I asked, I don't, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 pastors in the region and told them we'd feed them lunch. And I apologized to them. I said, uh, gentlemen, I'm super sorry. We've lived on our own island. Here's the deal. I've come to the conviction by the Spirit of God through His Word. We need you, and you need us. And so uh, what can we do? So we came to a conclusion that we're going to spend a year together, once a month, 
And we brought in our outside friend, this missiologist, to just kind of hang with us and talk and start to think differently about the church and about the mission and really talking about that idea of gospel saturation and every man, woman, and child and not being competitors and all of those things. And one guy, so this is this is getting to the church planting side, Jeff. This is great. This one guy named John Hasselbeck, he was at the time a senior associate pastor at an Assembly of God church that has a wonderful history in our region. But he felt God just really moving his heart to plant a church. But he didn't just want to plant, you know, by himself or denominationally. He wanted the church of Western New York to plant him because he got he, he got envisioned to all of this. So he's weeping out in our, our, our kind of atrium. And I walk by, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I want to plant a church. I said, we want to help. And he's like, are you sure? Because, you know, I'm like a little more charismatic, you know, than you are. And I, <laughs> said, I don't care what language you speak. I know you speak Jesus and you want to reach people. And I'm, that's what I'm about. Let's, let's see what we can do. The short yeah. version, Jeff, is that, and this took some time. There's a lot to this, but 14 different churches of seven different denominations came together with money and and experience and planted what is now Northgate Church in our region. And it was really remarkable because, you know, we weren't asking the questions of who's who's the boss, who's in charge. We were just asking the question of, we can do this, actually. This is something we can do. And that, that church is still present, active, you know, going in our context, because that was probably 11, 12, 13 years ago. Wow. Uh, what the Spirit of God did in those moments was give us kind of, we he backed us in to what we decided to do intentionally going forward. And what we did is an, a few years later, we commissioned what we call the Church Planting Initiative, terribly non-creative name, but very descriptive <laughs> of what we do. And it's a bunch of churches in our region who all put assets on the table together and who pray and think and develop and assess and launch church planters. And we've been doing that for, you know, probably eight years, nine years, something like that together. And the Spirit of God is who actually got us to that place. We didn't concoct that strategy. We backed into it by God's gracious providence and sovereignty in our lives. And we went, hey, like we could do this on purpose, you know, as opposed to this one off, like we can do this on purpose. So that's kind of how we got started. And now, now the chapel, having not planted a church in its history, when the time that I got here, we have now either planted or partnered to plant around 40 congregations in our region uh, at this point. Wow. So God's given us grace to be able to really think seriously about gospel saturation in our midst. And by the way, the vast majority, I mean, we've got We've got three outside campuses of what we are, but outside of that, nobody is a nobody's formally affiliated with us. Like they don't answer to us. They're they're just their expression. And some of those are immigrant expressions in the city. Some of those, like it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Wow. Oh my goodness. I love that story. I met first of all, one thing like I don't know how many listeners are out there that are listening and have have seen God give them means. You know, I think oftentimes I, I see large churches in a city and I wonder, do they understand that they've been given so much that 
that they have something they could steward for the kingdom and not just for their own purposes. And, and I, I'll be honest, like I, there's a, a little bit of grieving I've had over the years when I watch churches that could do the very thing you do, just keep holding everything to themselves. Like, Oh my goodness, you realize the the in, impact could be so much bigger yeah. if you're willing to release, you know, and, see yourself as part of a bigger thing. And yeah. I love that your, your story tells that what a, what a gift for the chapel, like as a church to go like, Hey, we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We get to see the spirit of God do things that we would have never done all by ourselves. Right. And then these churches that are smaller, I love what you said, like you honored them, like we need you and you need us. And man, that, that is a kingdom mindset. So yeah. thank you for that, man. What a gift. Thanks for the encouragement. I mean, we, we realize that there is a, I mean, Jesus said it, you were just alluding to the words of Jesus, to whom much is given, much is required. Yeah. Now, we have to look at that. We look at that individually, right? But we also have to look at that corporately. And if we've been blessed with people and resource and assets and, you know, gifts and capabilities and time and bandwidth and all of those things, we now have a responsibility of obedience. Yeah. Like that, that we're going to be held accountable to by the father, because if he's entrusted this to us, to whom much is yeah. given, much is required. And so for us, this is really a product of saying corporately, we've got an obedience here. We gladly do it. We joyfully do it. But this isn't about hoarding. This is about open-handed generosity for the sake of the kingdom of God in our region, because that's really what matters. It's not, we don't say every man, woman, and child that come to the chapel. It's yeah. every man, woman, and child in our region that they would hear and see and respond to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. That's what we want to see. And if that happens through other congregations of his greater church in the region, because we like to say around here, Jesus is not a polygamist. He has one bride, <laughs> right? One bride, that's it. And we have to yeah. operate that way. And there's, there's a beautiful diversity of that, but we have to operate that with that, that way. And that's a part of our responsibility of obedience in the region. Mm. You know, I was going to, the next question I wanted to ask you is what are some of the key initiatives that you see that are required to do this kind of collaborative work? And you already said one of them, which is, I mean, there's a few there, but like understanding we're stewards of the blessings he's given us. And then the spirit of generosity, uh, that leads to give away and to bless others. And I mean, that's just, that itself is just in the gospel. I mean, that's yeah. the interesting thing is the very gospel we preach is it should inform the very practices we engage in, Absolutely. you know? So like he who was rich became poor so that in his poverty, we might become rich. I mean, that's exactly what you're doing. You're saying like, Hey, we have a lot. <laughs> what are we going to do with it? Yeah. Uh, so I love that. Any other like key initiatives or even values that you'd say have, have really informed how you guys have continued to build this together? Yeah. Uh, a handful. So, Multiple, not singular, uh, right? Yeah, that's yeah a, absolutely. That's super important because that's, um, we've got a bunch of gifts at the table when we talk, because this conversation is kind of about church planting. We've yeah. got a bunch of pastors and leaders at the table, right? Of different denominations, different backgrounds, different, you know, all of that, right? And they're bringing their gifts. Some of their gifts are in the ability to assess church planters. Some of them with the social support of church planters. Some of them are strategic in the way that they think. Some of them are teachers and they're teaching and instructing these planters. Some are envisioners and kind of match strikers, you know, and that's kind of more my role that, that I'll do. But here's the, here's the beauty of like CPI. 
we envisioned it. And, uh, you know, we talked about this idea. My buddy Ryan Cozy was a part of this as well in its inception. And uh, we envisioned this from the chapel, but it was representative of the whole and the chapel doesn't lead it anymore. Mm. We have one person sitting on that team. We are not in charge. Other folks that we've helped to plant are leading um, what's going on here. And we're just, we're still continuing to fund it the same way. We're still continuing to pray along the same way. So it's got to be multiple and not singular. This is about the collaboration of the body in a region. And then I guess maybe you could also say it's collaborative as opposed to competitive, right? Mm, What we're trying to do is one of the things that, that I like to say, and that we say here, nobody has a backyard. Jesus owns the land, right? So sometimes we talk about, you know, well, what happens if they plant too close to my backyard? Nobody's got a backyard. (laughs) Jesus owns the land. He is the landowner, right? Mm. And so we have to think mission first and, and kind of think in those terms and let that be the grid through which we look and we operate. Mm. And Mm. then maybe one other is that um, we try to be strategic, not scattered. In other words, sometimes you can just plant churches for the sake of it. Um, But we're trying to look at the geography and the demography of the place where we are. There are 1.2, roughly 1.2 million people in Erie and Niagara County, which is not all of Western New York, but is the is the lion's share of Western New York, counting Mm -hmm. the city of Buffalo. And we have to think about what what geographies are not represented with the gospel in those contexts, at least well represented. We need to think about the various populations. That's why we've some of the ones that have come through our our CPI, our uh, church planting initiative, there we're planting in immigrant populations, Nepalese, people from Congo, right? And we're helping fund them, encourage them, support them. And they're going to be reaching very specific pockets of, you know, maybe the west side of our city, for instance. So we have to think in those terms. So it's not just generic. We're actually looking at this, trying to look strategic as opposed to scattered. So. Oh, that's really good. Oh, man. Some really good principles there. Uh, multiple, not singular, uh, collaborative, not competitive, and then strategic. How'd you say that? Strategic, not scattered. Yeah, not scattered. So good, man. Wow. Well, as as you think about about the work, you because you've been at this, I mean, was it 15 years now or yeah, 12 uh, years? A little, a little bit more. Yeah, probably 15. Yeah. Okay. It, Clearly, this isn't hasn't just always been smooth sailing. Um, <laughs> what are some of the struggles that you've faced along the way, and like how have you guys navigated them together, and even you personally? Yeah. So I get asked this a lot, and there's a number of different you know kind of factors, but a lot of times it has to do with you know I think the power of the gospel in relationship can can get you where you need to go. You have to wrestle with it a bit. You have to. But the gospel within relationship. So relationship has to be there. Trust has to be established. People need to believe that you have their best interest in mind, um, that you Mm. care about them, that you want to bless them. Uh, So, for instance, we got over some of those hurdles by doing stuff that didn't cost us a dime. Like on Sunday mornings, we're a large church. We're on television that goes all the way up into Toronto and stuff on ABC and all of that jazz. Right. But we in our service pause and put pictures of pastors in the region and their family and pray for them and pray for their church. And then I get emails and it's like, um, 
so I understand you prayed for us uh, Sunday. What was the deal with that? And I said, well, how about we grab, you know, we grab something to eat and, and I'd love to talk to you about that. And then we do. And they realize we actually just care about the gospel in our region and we're for you and how can we serve you? And all of a sudden it's like, what? You know, so it's, it's <laughs> almost upside it. down, right? For people, yeah. and it doesn't cost anyone, any of your listeners, it doesn't cost you a dime. Yeah. You can just do it, right? Yeah. You can just be a blessing. So some of it, it, I think relationship can carry the day, but some of the struggles really have to do with commitment to the gospel around mission, right? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. that's where, like, for instance, when we, when we began and I called these guys together and we, you know, we said, let's meet every month for a year and talk and pray and think. We actually had, we had a, we had a person in our region. There's no way they're listening to your Saturate podcast, by the way. <laughs> There's, they, they would have a fundamentally different view of the world and doctrine. And I'm not talking about, you know, reformed and Arminian. And I'm not talking about all that. Like we, we got, we got Wesleyans and reform guys that are on the CPI team, like to working together. That's not an issue. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about, you know, kind of heterodox, you know, kind yeah. of stuff like it's, yeah. um, and they, they came and like one of them came sitting right next to me at my table. And, and, but here's the thing they end up and people ask me all the time, like, what do you do with people like that? Like how, you know, and I said, when you keep talking about the gospel and you keep talking about the mission of God, they'll just opt out on their own. Um, they yeah. just will. And they did. So, but that's a hurdle. You kind of have to feel your way through and figure out. And then I would also say two other things, collaborating around a gospel statement or a belief is pretty important uh, because you do have to understand that you guys are all working out of the same playbook. It doesn't mean that everybody has to have the same second, third order issue stuff settled, you know, like that's not the issue. Yeah. But so what we've done here, just as a pragmatic, if if there's listeners going, please tell me what did you guys do? We basically grabbed the the uh, Luzon Covenant, and it's that is so global, and it's so high level around the orthodoxy of faith. It doesn't dive into all of the second, third, and fourth order issues that you might get into. We basically just said, can we all like agree to this and get busy with the work of mission? And that's been helpful for us. And then I would say, you know, you do have to work around some issues related to second and third order issues. So for instance, you know, we, we've got brothers and sisters that may not see uh, the same way when it relates to the gifts of the spirit and their use now and, or their, or their ceasing of being used or the role of women in either eldership or pastoral leadership. And what we've determined is for us, here in our region, those are second or third order issues, depending on which one we're talking about. And we can still partner together for the sake of the gospel on mission together, even then. Now, it doesn't mean we're not trying to necessarily convince the other of the rightness of our, of our role and our position. But when you have relationship, you can't actually talk about that stuff. And iron can sharpen iron in that and say, you know, I haven't thought about that. Or Maybe you should think about this or whatever, right? And I think that's good and healthy. And we're not trying to change everyone. We're united around the mission, united around the gospel. But those are really where I've seen some of the, the challenges. And I'll maybe I'll end with this one. <clears throat> and I'll use the, uh, the plant that we did with John Hasselbeck as an example. 
John, when we, we launched 14 churches, seven different denominations, and we planted this church, John years back was in the uh, construction industry. And he still had a ton of friends that were in that world, not, not followers of Christ, you know, whatever. And when he'd have a conversation with them, they would be like, so what are you doing now? And he's like, well, we planted this church. And he's like, and they're like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, you know, uh, Jerry and the guys over at the chapel. And they're like, yeah, we've heard of them. And you know, these people over there. Yeah, we've heard of them. And, and he starts naming all these places. Right. And he said, well, they all got together and they, they helped us get going. And all of his lost friends that don't follow Jesus were like, well, that, I mean, that's about right. Isn't that what you guys do? Like you're all on kind of team Jesus, right? That's what you do. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> but when he had that exact same conversation in the church world, they were confused I know. because they were thinking to themselves, wait a minute, who's the boss? Wait a minute. How it, it was a paradigm shift for them. And what was interesting is the unbelieving community got it right out of the gate. They're like, we, we totally get that. The church community was struggling to understand it because they haven't seen it before. Yeah, and so wow. the beauty of that is that you still have to work through and break through some of the church cultural paradigms. And, and that can be a struggle at times because sometimes you'll get pushback from people that are like on your team. Like these are team Jesus people and they're pushing back because they, they haven't seen it before. But that's part of what we want to do is we want to be permission giving by we, we consider part of our responsibility, Jeff, to put the helmet on and run into some of the walls and see yeah. what cracks. Like, let's see what happens. Um, and then people feel comfortable going, hey, yeah, let's all hit that wall together, you know? And so that's what we've oh, done. Oh, man, I love it. A lot, a lot of really good principles there. I mean, the first one, just like uh, the passage that came to my mind as you were talking about the trust building, because I mean, everybody that I talk to around the country around collaboration, it's like, this is got to be about the gospel and about trust. Like if yeah. we don't have a relationship, we're not going to navigate. And if the gospel isn't our true north, then we're not going to know how to navigate. Yep. And and so, but what I love that, you know, the past that came to mind is like, let's outdo one another in showing honor. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. that's what you do by highlighting a pastor in your own gathering. Uh, and I, I'm seeing more of that happen. I mean, it's beautiful. It's what any good team does, right? If you love football, you're, you're into baseball, but you yeah. know it works the same way. But if you love football, it's like if your defense doesn't do their job, the offense is going to have to carry the weight. And if the offense doesn't do the job, the defense is going to be on the field way too much. and They're going to be tired. Yeah. So it's like we root each other on. We celebrate each other's successes because we're one team. And Absolutely. that's beautiful, man. Thank, you know, uh, you're, you probably know this, but a lot of the cities have used the Lausanne Covenant as the kind yeah. of the guiding document of how we navigate this. We have as well here in Seattle. So yeah. I think that's really, really helpful. Yeah. So thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. As you think about the last 15 years or so, any highlights of breakthrough stories or, you know, moments that you observe and just go, man, I think this would really encourage our listeners? Yeah. Obviously, the the story that I told initially, I think, is a really encouraging one. That's a beautiful a, one, man. You know, with a guy that we can pull 14 churches of seven different denominations and plant That's amazing. Somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and then be able to go, well, let's do that on purpose, right? So now yeah. we're just, we're telling that story over and over and over again. But that there is that beautiful origin story that the Spirit gave to us. But I would say this, um, and this was a real cause for me for celebration of what God did, uh, because we can't manufacture this. When we, we really were getting after this and we, we took a 10-year snapshot, 
Ryan Cozy, I mentioned him earlier. Ryan's PhD. Uh, you guys have met, I think, Jeff. Um, yeah, we have. Super, yeah, super sharp. Yeah, Man. yeah. He's, he's got a real unique skill set. Um, yeah. You know, like, like Liam Neeson, a very specific skill set. <laughs> it's right. Um, right? <laughs> he's a got a very comparison. unique skill set. And it's, uh, you know, he's kind of got this PhD in like organizational statistics and all of that kind of stuff, right? So, so he knows how to measure things and evaluate things like in real academic terms, not just in put lick your thumb and go, Hey, there's an anecdote. So we, I basically said, Ryan, let's measure from 2008 to 2018. So this was a handful of years ago that we did this, but let's take a 10 year snapshot and ask the question, have we reduced the darkness? Like, mm -hmm. and how do we, how do we actually get our hands around that? Because obviously there's no way for us to really survey Western New York and figure out how many conversions there have been and whatever. Like I just, there's, that's messy. I don't know what to do with it. What we can do is basically just ask, has the church of Jesus Christ grown and advanced or receded in any, any, you know, and whatever it was, we were prepared to just go, okay, whatever that is, it is right. But what we found is embracing this collaboration, planting these churches, doing all that we did, Ryan surveyed 90 churches in our region. This was not just like four or five, and then you make an uh, extrapolation. 90 churches in our two kind of two county radius, right? And over that 10 year period, the church of Jesus grew by 28%, and the population declined by half a percent. So wow. we were actually in a negative population decline not by a ton, but just a little bit, like a half, right. like roughly a half percent decline in population. But the church of Jesus grew by 28% during that time frame. I mean, we were celebrating because we just, you know, that's not just, the, that's not a chapel. That's like, fit. I think it was, and I don't have it right in front of me, but I think the number was 50 something percent, like 55% of that growth came because of new churches, came oh, because wow. of plants, right? And that was what was so encouraging is that we were getting after this idea of saturation. And you and I both know that typically new expressions have the tendency to reach people better than existing expressions do. Yep, that's right. And, and that was a really, really great win for us. And then we were also able collaboratively to do something fun. It wasn't about the singular event. We did an event a number of years ago called Good Friday Together. And on Good Friday, we pulled the Church of Western New York together at the Key Bank Center where it's, which is our great auditorium where the Buffalo Sabres play and all the concerts come. And we packed that thing out and we worshiped together. We had the Lord's Supper together. We, we took communion together. We raised $100,000 that we sowed back into our city for a variety of different projects that we were doing with housing and education and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I mean, it was just seeing the diversity of the body and all the people that spoke and from, you know, Hispanics and African-Americans and black and white men and women just who are all sharing. And it was remarkable, like uh, really remarkable and, uh, and just a ton of fun. And then I guess another celebratory kind of breakthrough moment is then the grandfathering of church plants where plants are planting, right? And you just start going, okay, because that's what you want to see on, a, on an individual level. You want to see disciples discipling, right? Yes. yes. Um, and then you see you see plants planting and you're just like, okay, like this is what you, and it's like now, like I'm a granddad. Yeah. And the great joy for me 
was not just that I had when I when I went to see this beautiful baby at the hospital. Everybody asked me like what like what was the feeling? What was the emotion you experienced? And it was less about I'm so pumped that I'm a grandfather and I've got this beautiful bundle of joy in my arms. My thought went to my son. Yeah. yeah. I just was thinking about how I'm so overjoyed for my son. You know that he gets to experience this and what a joy it is. And that's how I feel about seeing all of this, right? And so we've been able to kind of, if for the math side of what we do, when we looked at gospel saturation and we, we kind of measured the kind of churches that we're talking about here, not just any church, but the kind of churches we're talking about here. When we started in our region, that was one church for every 150,000 people. Wow. Of these, ki- of, the, of, of these kinds of churches that we're talking yeah. about, Jeff. Yeah. We are now at a place where we're like at the one for every 15,000 people. Really? Yeah. And we're moving toward what we want to get to is one for every 5,000 people. And then, then what you've got is what I call institutional saturation. In other words, we've done the job geographically of putting embedded, incarnated witnesses to the gospel in various places in our geography such that people can hear and see the gospel, maybe without having to go or come anywhere, right? Yeah. Like that, yeah. that, but then actual gospel representation and saturation only occurs through the people um, because right. yeah. you can set it up strategically. And, and I think that's part of the, part of the infrastructure, right? That we need to build part of the scaffolding, but then yep. it's about the people doing that. But so we celebrate that too, because we've moved the scale in our region in a significant way and want to continue to do that. Mm, so good. I'm, I'm glad you said that last part because I think it can often get lost where it's like, hey, we've got, I mean, and well done. I mean, one one to 15,000, Lord willing, one to 5,000, amazing. But if those people aren't equipped, exactly right. understand the Great Commission, know that their everyday life is what really matters, then then all we have is a bunch of places there are people gathering, but nobody gets access. And That's so. Right. When the body is released and equipped and empowered and realized they're on mission every day, everywhere, then all of those locations are training hubs, sending hubs, yep. equipping hubs. Like that's that's beautiful, man. So I'm yeah. I'm really grateful you said that. As you you and I both know, uh, we can start a Sunday, and if we don't actually equip every day, then we really don't accomplish the Great Commission. So. Exactly right. That's uh, so exactly good. Right. As you think about the future, you shared some of it already. The one to 5,000 um, yeah. is kind of what you're aiming for. As you think about that, what are some additional hopes that you have um, that you're, you know, even I would love to even pray for you and pray for the work there and invite our listeners to join us in praying for what God's doing in Buffalo. What are some of your hopes and dreams? Yeah, so so that one being one that we just named, kind of that <clears throat> what we call, you know, uh, theoretical gospel saturation, right? Um, it's not actual, but it's, um, it's real, uh, and we're yeah. looking to try and move in that direction. And and CPI, the great thing about that is, is that's just that's just on repeat. Like we're just doing that now. It's it's gone through some iterations, and it's much more residency based now. For a year, we actually give uh, supplementary money to the planters through the residency because we realize many of them are having to work and they're having to take off work to get the training. So we're helping supplement that, so it's not costing them. And then giving them a little bit as they go out to plant as well. So that's that's just in play. Like that's just continuing to keep moving forward. So we're going to continue pressing uh, on that. 
But then there's um, there's two things that for the future of what we're talking about, and we just talked about it a moment ago, and it's where I think you've done, uh, Jeff, really excellent work, and that's on the everyday equipping of missional disciples at the kind of individual and maybe small level, um, mm-hmm. in the everyday neighborhood level. That has to be a priority in a region to see real gospel saturation, because uh, as my friend Dwight Smith has coined the phrase, Whatever God wants to do in the world, he wants to do through all of Christ's people. Amen. And that means it's not just golden tongues. It's not just golden voices. It's not just people who are super strategic or who have a microphone or like it's it's not. It's about every man, woman, and child. And so the way we say it kind of in Christ together is it requires each man, woman, and child in the body to reach every man, woman, and child in the region. And so- we have to see that equipping of missional disciples. And, uh, and so people like you and others who've done really, really significant work in that regard are a blessing to the church. And I think actually a part of the future of what has to happen at a guts level, because the genius, the genius of the church is its distribution, right? Yes. Is it's, it's their mobile temples that everywhere you go, God goes because you are the temple and you are bringing and, and mediating the presence of God in every space and place that you're in. And we have to allow that to, to bleed out into the whole of who we are in individual local congregations. And so mm. the, second, the second thing for the future that I'm thinking about is I'm asking God to raise up people way more gifted, way smarter uh, than me who have their hands around a post-COVID reality. And there's some things that are unchanging, like like the equipping of disciples. Like that's just unchanging. But sometimes the vehicles in which we do that do change. And pastors and teachers who maybe have gone to seminary and been taught about preaching and teaching and maybe comfort and care, but haven't been taught about innovation and being an entrepreneur in terms of how to think about what we're doing, we need some of those people to be able to come to the fore in these seasons and be able to help the existing church think about that moving forward. And I would also say that in the cultural climate that we're in, particularly over the last handful of years, that we're going to have to continue to think through and address relationship that crosses ethnicity specifically, and that we learn to listen to one another and think about, because if it's about every man, woman, and child in a region, the Hispanic church doesn't think exactly like the African-American church, which doesn't think exactly like the Anglo church, which doesn't think exactly like the immigrant church, right? We, we have to be able to have those strong, trusting relationships to think about how we can serve one another together for the mm-hmm. sake of the gospel. Even if, even if that's not our lane, particularly, we got to figure out how to serve people in other lanes so that we can get the job done. That's so good. So I, before we go any further, I want to stop and just pray for those things because be like awesome. we Thank can you. have all the dreams we want, but unless the Lord builds the house, we're wasting our time, yep. right? So, Father, I'm just thankful for Jerry. I'm thankful for the work uh, that's happening in this part of New York. We're so grateful that you would even consider us to be a part of it, that you would consider these leaders to be a part of it. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for the example, the encouragement, the inspiration that we can receive just hearing what you've already been doing. And yet, Lord, we know there's more. And so we ask that this vision of one a church per 5,000 people in strategic areas would come about. Uh, Lord, we pray that your people would be equipped 
more effectively than ever before to be disciples, missionary disciples in everyday life. We pray that every man, woman, and child that does know Jesus would realize they're called to be sent to every man, woman, and child in their region that doesn't yet know you. Lord, we pray for innovation and creativity. We pray that you would raise up people who can think outside of the box, who are inspired and led by your spirit to help the church step out in new ways in this new season. And lastly, Lord, we pray that these lines between different uh, people groups, between different ethnicities, between different immigrant populations uh, would be crossed, that we'd see bridges uh, built between all of them, and that we would both honor our differences and also collaborate around how you have made us one family, one body with one Savior, one Father, one Spirit. So Lord, would you do this for your name's sake, for the glory of Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, man. I can't wait to to hear how he's going to answer those prayers. And I know you guys have been praying for a long time, but I guess I just want, like, one of my biggest heart's desires is that Christians across the, the nation, around the world would start praying for each other, that yep. that we would want this for every city. Yes. So. Absolutely. Mm. So, Jerry, if you could encourage our listeners um, just towards greater collaboration, especially around some of the things that God's done, you know, through in and through you guys, what would you want to say to them? Yeah. First, uh, whoever the listeners are that are listening, thank you for the courtesy of your time. Um, Hmm. You've invested some time to be able to listen. Hope it's been valuable to you. Maybe one of the things that I would share, uh, at least a couple, one, you have permission to go after this. You, you really do. You've got the permission of the spirit by his word to go after this. And you don't have to be bound by kind of the traditional modes that we've thought about. We can actually work in such a way that, you know, you've heard some things here and I hope they're permission giving for you. Yeah. You go, hey, because that happened to me. Uh, A buddy of ours, you know, I heard about early on who was planting churches quite literally in his own backyard. And I was like, wait, you planted like three or four churches of different denominations right within a mile radius of your own church? What are you, nuts? And then I was like, I love that. And it, it just gave me permission. I was like, yes, of course you would do that. Right. Because the, and that's the second piece, let the mission be the lead. Um, so kind of some of the work that I did, like on the doctoral level and things that I thought about had to do with uh, a missiological ecclesiology. And the reason that I use that term is, is because I was thinking about both things and what happens most of the time. And it's not all the time, but most of the time, People start with ecclesiology, and here's what they do. They say, this is how we're structured, therefore, this is what we can do. As opposed to starting with missiology that says, this is what we're supposed to do, therefore, how do we structure to do it? Of course, yeah. within, you know, uh, within the bounds of the scripture and the principles therein, but I would say that it's really important that we don't start with structure, but we start with mission. And allow that to be the guiding force in terms of how we actually uh, posture ourselves in a region. Because if we do, it will bring different behaviors from us. And that's what we want to see. We kind of want to force those behaviors. One of the things we say internally here and that some of my friends in Christ Together say, and I think I first maybe heard Jeff Shipman say it, is that the mission is the senior pastor. Mm. And uh, and we kind of we kind of look to that because it comes from Jesus. If we're we're diagnosing this correctly, right, from the Great Commission— that this is Jesus teaching us these things. He's the head of his church. And so we just find our way in that. But, and then maybe lastly, I would say 
to those of you who may be listening, who may be of a little larger size, I think you have a responsibility to live generously for the sake of the kingdom in your region. For us, it's really, it's about obedience to Jesus. To whom much is given, much is required. And I, I would just encourage you and maybe challenge you uh, with grace to say, would you look at what you're doing and how you're doing it and ask the question, are we serving our own purposes solely or are we actually thinking about the work of the kingdom in our region, even if it means slightly disadvantaging ourselves for the advantaging of the kingdom work? And so I say that to you, not I'm not trying to be uh, harsh or any of those things. Like this is where we've lived and maybe you're listening and you're in a larger sphere. Maybe you would just listen closely to the voice of Jesus saying to whom much is given, much is required. But all of us, regardless of who we are, need to live generously and inspire others to do the same. Amen. Yeah, I'm absolutely convinced that God has given everything needed in a region to accomplish his purposes, but it's a matter of will we steward it for that. I agree with you, Jeff. That's exactly what you just said. So if people want to find out more about what you guys are doing, where would you want them to go? I think the easiest place would be go to this website. It's just Church of WNY. That's Western New York, churchofwny.com. And okay. you can find out about what we're doing. You can see information about our the church planting residency that we do. Um, you can see a partnerships that we have. Like It's all there on churchofwny.com. Great. Jerry, thank you so much for everything you've been doing, everything you're sharing. Uh, I, uh, you, you saw me... Um, <laughs> get a little emotional when I, after I got him praying for you. Um, and that's just because I'm, I'm just so grateful for men like you who, who are demonstrating the the gospel, not just preaching it. So thank you so much. And thank you for what you're doing, not only through the podcast, but through your writing, your coaching, Mm -hmm. your teaching, Mm -hmm. you are, you are meeting a significant need in the nation. And uh, Mm -hmm. I I thank you for it. And thank you for the honor of having me on here. Oh, thank you so much. Well, thanks for joining us for the Saturate podcast. I hope you were inspired and encouraged, as well as received some ideas of how you could take some next steps in the work God's called you to do in your own context. I want to let you know of another way that you might be able to receive some ongoing encouragement and equipping. You could visit saturatetheworld.com, where we have a lot of our resources, our training, PDFs, videos, audio, a whole bunch of stuff to serve you in your journey towards being a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Now we're gonna provide a code for you to use if you'd like to try a two week free membership to our subscription-based services. That code, if you'd like to use it is podcast2023. That's one word, all lowercase, podcast2023. And we'd love to just invite you to check out what we have online so that you can see if it's something that might serve you and maybe serve the people that you also lead or work with as you consider what it would take for you to get more and more equipping. It's our desire to make this available to as many people as possible. And so everybody who eventually pays for a monthly subscription makes it available for free for people who can't afford it. We've had the honor of being able to give almost 500 free subscriptions away this last year, and we're hoping to give even more to those around the world who can't afford the membership. But if you can, we'd love for you to consider it. Try it for free for a couple weeks, see if it serves you well. And if so, love for you to continue on and be a Saturate member. Second, I want to invite you to consider being a Saturate partner. And that's someone who's committed to pray and or also give 
to support the work of Gospel Saturation. What we do is completely based on fundraising and the money that comes in through the subscription and some of the products we're able to sell. But the majority of our work is funded by people like you who just believe in the work and want to see more of it done. So if you want to pray with us and join us in praying for gospel saturation, send us an email at hello at saturatetheworld.com. Let us know you want to be a prayer partner, and we'll begin to send you updates so you know how to pray specifically. And if you want to give, just go to saturatetheworld.com, click on the Give button, and you'll see all the instructions there to help you take a step towards supporting the work as a Saturate partner. Again, thank you so much for listening in, and I can't wait till you hear the next one. I hope we continue to encourage you with the work of gospel saturation in North America and around the world.